2: have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of William Miller, who was the gas station attendant,
0: but you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth.
1: everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for the last episode of Season 7, Episode 728. In this episode, Bob wrapped things up on the case. He had interviews with Jamie, Nicole, and Danny, because this case obviously affected their lives in a lot of different ways, as it did a lot of the listeners' lives. And this follow-up is going to be about that conclusion and our final farewell to Season 7. We've got a lot of questions here, so Bob, let's get right into this. All right, let's not forget to mention
0: that we have the man with the voice finally back in the room, Zach Weaver. Hey
2: guys, look, I'm back. <laughs> I can talk again. You can hear him. I'm so happy. All
0: it took was eight or six days of sunshine, yeah. to get your voice back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thanks, Mike, for that amazing introduction, and thank you, listeners, for for tagging along and all of your questions. So we are about to wrap up season seven with this final Friday follow up.
1: The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go
0: all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.
1: All right, our first question comes from Jenna. Now that you have eliminated Jamie as a suspect and have good suspects in the Jeffs, what are the next steps in this case after you are no longer covering it weekly?
0: Well, like, like any of our cases, there's, there's going to be stuff that's going on behind the scenes. A lot of it will be done by Jamie's attorneys. And um, for us, I mean, I can't get into the details. That's part of the reason why we're not covering it on the broadcast. But it's a hard question to answer without sounding like I'm being intentionally coy. But, you know, we're going to keep working. There's leads that we've had come in. There's leads we've been working on that require a little more finesse. But basically, we're going to be trying to, for me, I'm going to be trying to either build a case against the Jeffs or clear their names, one or the other. You know, we need to dig deeper and figure out do they belong squarely listed as our suspects and possibly the actual offenders, or should they be cleared? Because to be clear, we don't know the answer to that yet. Right now they look like good suspects, but there's a lot more investigative work that needs to be done, and that's what's going to be happening as we continue along after the broadcast.
1: All right, this next one comes from Matt. What can the T&J Army do to keep this case alive now? Who can we write to officially or directly to support Jamie? There's a lot of things you can do. Uh, one thing you can do to support Jamie is obviously write to
0: Jamie. I mean, that's pretty easy with the Connect Network system where he can actually, you know, email you from his iPad. But then there's, you know, there's a, a petition that we have going going around. I think it's on our Facebook page. It's all over social media. If you go to the free Jamie Snow Facebook page, for sure it's there. Uh, but there's there's petitions out there to try to get the state to test the DNA, to test all the forensic evidence. You can call the state's attorney's office for McLean County. I think they have to keep putting pressure on them, requesting that they test the DNA, and also, you know, trying to get it out to other media outlets. You know, one nice thing is, is we talked about the very beginning of the season with Tammy Alexander is one very nice thing about us doing the podcast like this is it takes all the information that that, that she and others had already put together, and it put it into a shareable link, right? So you can you now now there's a place. Where if you're trying to get you know another media outlet to take a look at it, um, we saw uh, one of our listeners named Danielle Rohr did a great job with our season four case with um, George Powell. You now she got in with some of the local reporters and 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 got them to start doing you know regular stories on George's case until he got released and even after he actually as a matter of fact, congratulations George and Tamara they uh, they actually got married last week and they had reporters there when they got married. Um, but so now we have this like shareable link like you can point him in the direction here here's this podcast you can listen to with all the information or here's a particular episode you can listen to and and try to keep the story alive uh, but definitely if you haven't already signed the petition do that you can call you can write you can email the state's attorney's office and request the dna testing uh, and just just keep talking about it. keep sharing things on social media just keep eyes on jamie's case that's the part that it gets uh frustrating for me a little bit is once we do have to back and we do have to you know for you know if for no other reason, it's just we can't keep dragging out content to make a forty minute episode every week once we get to this point in the investigation but but up until now, I've been able to just like with every season make sure people are still talking about Jamie's case because we're putting new content out every week so now. Uh, A big way for you to help is for you to make sure that content gets put out every week from, you know, in, in any groups or sources that you can think of just to keep the Jamie story alive.
1: Maria says, I know that the Jeffs are people of interest in this matter. Do we even know where these two guys are at? How close are we at getting DNA testing done? We do know where they're
0: at. All sources seem to indicate that one of them is deceased. Uh, and, yeah, we know where the other one's at. I don't want to go too much further into that. Um, as far as the DNA testing, you know, we heard from Tara Thompson a couple of weeks ago. That's something that they're still working on and they're still adding to that motion that hasn't been ruled on yet. So the hope is within this year that we can get some DNA testing done. And one of the big things that Jamie's mentioned over and over again is testing testing the fingerprints that were taken from the scene for DNA, which is kind of newer technology, but you know they can actually pull that fingerprint tape
1: back and swab it and get a DNA profile from that. All right, this one's from Susanna. I might have missed this in the previous episodes, but have you heard anything from Bill Little's family regarding the podcast at all, especially now since there's new information about the case?
0: No, I haven't. You know, I I reached out to Bill's family I never spoke with any of them directly at the beginning of the season but indirectly you know there was listeners who knew them and they seemed to be I don't I don't know if supportive is the right word but they didn't they didn't have a problem with us doing what we're doing but at the same time they didn't want to be involved in it at all and and I actually haven't I haven't inquired or asked and and that's just because I don't want to their their position at the beginning of this was they didn't want to relive this so I don't want to poke that tiger and, and reach back out again and see what they think now. So I always kind of wait and see, you know, if there comes a time where maybe they want to reach out to me and let me know what their thoughts are. I'm always open to that. But, you know, it's it's understandable and it's not uncommon in our cases for the, the families of the victims not to want to be involved, and they have not been, at least not to my knowledge, directly to me.
2: And that makes perfect sense. You know, you don't want to relive it. You know, if, if I was Bill Little's family, I probably wouldn't even listen to the podcast. Right because you're you're having to relive every moment over again, you know for our sake we're we're trying to find justice for Bill, but we're also trying to get Jamie exonerated from this, which is a big deal, but to Bill Little's family, it's over. you know they don't want to rehash that
0: well, that's a common thing too is is like what you just said that it's over. I think a lot of times the families of victims. Are really hesitant to acknowledge that there could be a wrongful conviction because that means it's not over for them anymore. Mm-hmm. And to acknowledge that maybe they got the wrong guy means that that you know that wound is still open. Yeah, but you know it's interesting. You said that if it was your family, you don't think you'd listen to the podcast. I don't know if I would or not.
2: It's hard to say. You know, that's just me speaking out loud. But I mean that mm-hmm. that's kind of how I feel. Is I don't know that if if it were really. My family, that I don't know that I could listen yeah. to have to go over every detail yeah. the way we do.
0: Yeah, it would. I think it would be really tough. I think for me, I'm so inquisitive, I think that I think I would want to know what's being said. I, I don't know. I mean, we've all lost people close to us. I mean, what do you think, Mike? Would you, if it was someone close to you and they were talking about it, we're
1: investigating it, would you think you'd want to listen? No. I uh, <laughs> sound hypocritical. I'd actually be pretty uncomfortable with it. Personally, I'd be jealous in a way. I wouldn't want the whole world to share in it. And I know that sounds weird, but I would definitely want to keep it private. I would just, can't really put my finger on why, but I would be uncomfortable. Yeah. I kind of figured
0: that's, you know, the different personalities in the room that that's, you know, that, that, like I said, Mike is probably one of those guys that wouldn't, I probably would. I don't know about you. You're kind of a wild card, Zach.
2: I, it's so tough. You know, honestly, I, I don't know. It's tough. You, you'd probably want to, to hear what they have to say. But then at the same point, you are going to have to rehash it. That's going to be tough. Yeah.
0: And hopefully none of us are ever in a position where we have to worry about someone like us. It really does sound almost hypocritical, like Mike said earlier. But but hopefully we're not ever in a position where someone like me is going to exploit the case. And I use the word exploit on purpose because that's how some people look at it. I don't look at it that way. And I know that our listeners don't either, that you know, we are doing this for a purpose And we're trying to find justice, in this case, for Bill Little and for Jamie Snow. But I can totally see why a family member would feel very differently about that.
1: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers?
0: Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire.
1: And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Michelle says, Has anyone thought about putting Jamie's case on a show like Dr. Phil? so the whole world will know and get the information out there where is this case going to go from here i'm just curious i i think it would be great if it happened we saw that in season 6 uh
0: which was the the Jamie Melgar case uh, where we ended up featuring this the the entire case on an episode of 2020 and it was massively helpful to the you know it, it's like the the podcast drew enough interest to where 2020 reached out to me to do an episode about it and then the 2020 episode drew even more interest, and ultimately led to Kathleen Zellner taking on Sandy Melgar's case. So I think it could be a huge advantage. It's just a matter of, you know, that, that that's a fickle industry or a strange industry.
2: Yeah, and you have to realize, too, that we don't make those decisions.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we can pitch them. You know, people can pitch to— so What's strange about it? You've had some experience with uh, producing TV shows. What's the, What's the strange part?
0: Well, the, the strange part is it's hard to understand what TV producers believe is going to make a good TV show. You know, for example, like I've worked hard to try to get Ed's case, our season two case, onto a couple of big platforms, including, in a matter of fact, you know, we, you know, our TV show we have coming out on Oxygen is on the West Memphis Three case. We originally pitched that case with Ed's, and, and no one wanted to buy the show. And we had a lot of people like, ah, oh, we, we like it, but we don't know, and we don't know if we want to do anything with it. Yeah, They they were all upset with themselves later when Ed actually walked out of prison because that would have made a hell of a conclusion to the story. But, of course, no one can predict that because wrongful convictions are slow. But then it's like, then we pitch them West Memphis 3, and it's like, well, here's a show that's been done on TV multiple times. And they're like, yeah, we love it. Let's do it. It's a different approach, obviously, and it's a different perspective we bring and breathing new life into the case. I'm not saying it was a bad thing. But for me, going through the pitch process, I mean, I've been to a whole lot of Different networks and done a lot of pitches with a you know a lot of people and it's just like and then you watch TV for me you know I'll turn on say Oxygen and watch the programming they have and it's like oh they're like I, I talk all the time like Criminal Confessions is one of my favorite shows ever that's on there but then there's, they've got some other programming it's like this is garbage you passed on what we had for that <laughs> like and it's not just them any network and so when I say it's strange I just mean or in you know twenty twenty or Dateline like. What makes them, what made Sandy's case so exciting for them? And for them, it was, you know, really that story was, the way they produced it was about us. You know, it was about the Truth and Justice Army and how we were taking on the case. But what makes that case so much more marketable than, say, Jesse Eldridge's case or George Powell's case? Or you know, and George Powell's case ends up on on the Netflix documentary. So that's all I mean. When I say it's strange, I guess I mean, even some, for someone who works in the industry, obviously not full time, but I just had another, I've got something else going on right now. So I've had some experience in the industry and I, I just don't get it. I don't understand how it works. I don't understand
1: what they think, who makes those decisions and why they make them. All right. Julie says, it seems like the season's progress was immensely helped by the involvement of people who live in and around Bloomington. I know you did an appearance on a local radio show shortly before starting season seven. Are there any plans for similar promotion to reach out to the community for our next case? I would like to. That was, you know, that was a new strategy for us to really
0: reach out, and and it was it worked well in Bloomington because it's a smaller, not a small town, but it's a smaller city. I don't know how much that actually helped, but for sure, I'd like to do that again. I thought it was, I think it was cool to get the local community involved. I'll give you guys a little bit of a heads up about what's coming uh in the and we'll probably touch on it again at the end in in the, the the next few weeks. So this week Sunday in 2 days as i mentioned we're going to have an update on our season 3 case which you are not going to want to miss that and if you haven't listened to season 3 start binging cuz you're going to you're going to have your your socks blown off on Sunday with this update. So we've been d- digging so deeply into season 7 and then back to season 3 that we need a little time. Before we jump into season eight, we have the case. It's it's very unique. It's very different in a lot of ways. I'm not gonna. I'll explain that all to you as we get closer to it. But it's a it's a very different approach this one than we've done before. Different type of case. But I need some time to research it and get some interviews done and maybe do some of that marketing before we we go and in, get into it. So for those of you that have been dying for season five for the West Memphis Three to come back, we're gonna give you a little taste. While we're waiting for oxygen to air the show, which we still—I actually have—I've been told when it's going to air, but I'm not allowed to say when it's going to air. But yeah, it's coming up soon enough that we're—I'm going to take three weeks for after this this week's season, after this week's episode, we're all going to take three weeks to research and prepare for season eight. During those three weeks. You're going to hear some never before heard interviews that I did two years ago with Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin. So we're going to, we're going to piece those out over the next three weeks. So you'll have, you know, content put out, kind of get those West Memphis three juices flowing
1: again. And then we're going to come back and we're going to start with season eight after that. Jackie says, can you tell me how many national or international listeners there are to the podcast? I've been emailing our local NPR station here in Bloomington, WGLT, to push them to cover this season of the podcast and let people know about it. They are resisting for some reason. I thought those numbers might help. Thanks. That's interesting. I find
0: that terrestrial radio and other sources of media, it's like they don't like us.
1: I know. And I, don't uh, mean I, us. I didn't mean to get excited, no, but I right. felt the same thing. I felt the same vibe mm-hmm. when we were at, that, at the station in Bloomington. As if – and I think it has to do with podcasting encroaching on terrestrial radio. I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, they didn't like us. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's, yeah and it was clear, like, the people, like, and like liked us personally, but you could tell, like, in the conversations that they have a problem with podcasts. And it's because they were talk radio people, and, and they talked a little bit about how the industry is just going away. You know, because, you know, why would you – there's less and less people listening to terrestrial radio because because of podcasts, because they don't have to listen to commercials. Like, the people listening to this episode, when the when the ads come up, you can just skip past them. You don't have to change the channel. You don't have to wait for anything. There's no censorship. I can say whatever the F I want to on a podcast. You know, there's a lot of – for a lot of reasons. But it's it seems like – you know, I have some good friends here locally that run a radio station, and I usually make an appearance there every every few months I go on for a morning.
1: Those guys like you.
0: Yeah, they like but, – but, you know, that's – it's rare. But when we talk, too, like, they – well, they were kind of forced into doing a podcast. They have to once a week. They've got to do a podcast, and they, which they titled "Here's Your Freaking Podcast" because the, their bosses made them do a once a week podcast. But anyway, so as far as the resistance, I, I I feel like we have resistance in a lot of different ways. We have, I think, that traditional media sources don't like the amateur nature of podcast in general, because you know, these people went to school for this shit. And you, know, you didn't just, you didn't just walk into a radio station like you do now. Like now, I can just go on Amazon. You know, spend a couple hundred dollars and start my own radio show. Uh, so I think there's some issues there, and we also have the same resistance with lawyers and cops, and because we're we're basically we've just decided to do everyone else's job for them. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, and it's a good
1: way to piss people off. Yeah, you know, we don't mean to be that way. People don't like me, man. No, <laughs> uh, like like around like in the area. Because of your
0: job. Yeah. yeah. You, you just had somebody recently that was like, oh, you don't have a real job.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally made fun of me. It's, yeah.
2: It just goes with it. I, I think mean, part of it's jealousy, too. I have a, I have a good friend that works at a radio station. We uh-huh. were talking about my other podcast mm-hmm. and talking about numbers. And he's like, well, ours don't get that. Right. And, and mine's, my podcast isn't big. Yeah. yeah. So it's a jealousy factor when you have a podcast like Truth and Justice mm-hmm. that does have a big listenership. There's huge jealousy. Yeah. There's not a local news station that gets numbers like you guys get. Right. You know yeah, what I mean?
0: Probably, probably. Not. I don't know. I don't know what their numbers are.
1: No, that'd be interesting to look into.
0: Yeah, but that's. Uh, but like, my, my mother-in-law, I don't think, still knows what I do for a living. She all the time doesn't understand. She's like, I don't
1: understand it. You talk, you read.
0: Right. My, my father-in-law listens, but my mother-in-law doesn't. Doesn't quite get it. But um, we're getting off topic a little bit. But yeah, th- th- I think that's where some of the resistance comes in. Like I said, we we are we just, it, not just us, people from around the world have just you know. Like I said, spent a couple hundred bucks on Amazon and start doing other people's jobs for them that they got they spent years and tens of thousands of dollars to train for. But as far as the numbers, what might help, I doubt that it will, but um, you know, it, it's hard to say now because we have so many episodes and our numbers get spread. We have over four hundred episodes, so but it's right around I think I think weekly weekly downloads of each episode is around a hundred thousand right now. Um, and that's probably seventy percent in the United States, and another 30% spread out internationally. Big ones are the UK, Canada, and Australia, uh, where we have some listenership there. But again, it's hard to say you know, because people every day are starting to listen to our show and they might start on season two or season one or you don't know where that you – know, we get a couple million downloads per month, but we don't really know where they're all at. But I, I would say if, if that will help them, yeah, it's, I, I would say – Safely, you can say that 100,000 people are are more listening to each episode each week. And then that number goes up over as the episodes get a little older. Also, Mike, I wanted to point out that you said, you know, people don't like you. There's one guy that really likes you. Who's that? That is Nick from True Crime Garage. Oh, Nick, much appreciated, brother. Nick absolutely loves you. Hey, did you listen yet to? So, Mike and I both did, uh, True Crime Garage just did a, a series on the, what was it called? The Something Heights Safe. I forgot the name of the. It's going on right now. Anyway, it, they, did, they wanted to do, like, what do you call it, an all-star podcast lineup? Right? Yeah. Instead of, like, reading police reports, he got all true crime podcasters to do voiceovers. And Mike did one and I did one. Zach didn't have a voice. Mine's still coming. Right. <laughs> but Just wait for co- it, guys. Just keep listening. But it was pretty cool. And, uh, and, and Nick w- ins- in, insisted that Mike be a part of it because Mike is Nick's favorite podcaster.
1: Well, wow, that's appreciated. And that was an awesome project. I'm so glad to have been a part of that. I think it was brilliant for them to pick out pick out all the uh
0: the all stars, as they said. Yeah. You hear you know guys from the generation Y guys are on there and uh James Renner's on there, some other people. But anyway, we'll get back to the questions. I know we're approaching the end. We're a little uh little out of there. We have, we haven't the three of us haven't, just so you know, the three of us haven't sat down in the same room and talked for two weeks either. So uh-huh. you guys are hearing a lot of us just catching up.
1: All right, Dottie says have any tips come in from the reward? Uh, no. I mean, yes, there have been some, but a lot of them are
0: stuff we already knew or they're, va- you know, nothing's come in like, hey, I have direct firsthand knowledge that so-and-so did this. It's more, so far, most of the tips that have come in are more along the lines of, hey, I heard this or so-and-so is shady or, you know, or or things that we already knew. You know, so, so nothing huge yet, but that reward line, keep that going on. Um, that there's a $10,000 reward, uh, that's something else. And, uh, I think Matt asked earlier, was the listener that asked earlier, what can you do? Nothing you do is keep sharing that reward, whether it's on social media or in person. Uh, you can get a, a hold of, through our Facebook page, Leslie. I, 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 what did I need to ask her how to pronounce her name? I don't know if it's Pires or Pyres, uh, but look up Leslie. She's the one that put all that together and printed them out, and and she knows a lot better than I do about how those are being distributed.
1: Peter says, what is the airspeed velocity of a laden swallow? Well, it depends what we're talking about here. Are we talking about an African or a European swallow? Brian
2: says. (laughs) Tis merely a flesh wound. I I don't know the
0: line. That was the line. It was from (laughs) Monty Monty Python. Monty Python. Didn't he have to answer the riddle to get across Mm -hmm. the bridge? And that was – I don't remember how the bit played out, but I remember him asking if it was European or – I think it was to get in the castle or the city. Something
2: like that. Yeah.
1: Good question, Peter. All right, Brian says, no question. Just wanted to say how much this season has really opened my eyes into our justice system. It's unfortunate how people are convicted of crimes by circumstantial evidence and hearsay. I've enjoyed my letters to and from Jamie, and I pray that he will get a chance at a new trial. Thank you, Bob, Mike, Shane, and Zach, for all your hard work and helping these wrongfully convicted inmates. Glad to be a part of the Truth and Justice Army. Well, thanks for that, Brian. I, we all
0: appreciate that, and we've appreciated your input. We actually, we actually, well, Zach and I know Brian personally, but it's 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 cool for us, even for me, when someone who is like a personal friend or an acquaintance, like that, that starts listening because they're just trying to be supportive of someone they know, and then. Brian is really engaged. He asks questions every week on the follow up and, uh,
2: he's done some digging as well.
0: Yeah, he has. He's done a lot of work on the, on the fan page and, and helped with the investigation. So n- not just Brian specifically, but, but really every one of you listening. And I hope you guys caught, I'm, it's pretty on the nose, but the theme of this week's episode of the finale this year, and, and that was straight from the heart for me is how much I appreciate all of you, the listeners. I haven't felt as confident about our, m- our, our crowdsourcing model in in a while. As confident as I am right now. I mean it was it was really back to, you know, the old school crowdsource digging and, you know, we're always trying to find that balance or I am when I'm writing episodes and doing research about, you know, trying to be a good storyteller and trying to be a good investigator and trying to be a good leader and trying to open the door for encouraging all of you to help and this season you guys really all stepped up and and it not only has meant the world to me, but for sure to to Jamie and Nicole and Tammy and everybody else that's been affected by this case. So I want to I want to make sure that if I wasn't crystal clear about that 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 I am that that this season, the big life changer for me has been all of your hard work and dedication and it's very, very much appreciated.
2: No, honestly, as Bob said, and Bob said in the episode you know, mid-season, Bob was very discouraged, and it was hard to see. You know, nothing was shaking out. The things weren't playing out the way they should be. We continued to dig and dig and dig, and everything was just the same. And then really watching the Truth and Justice Army set fire and go, yeah it was, it was very inspiring to see. Yeah, because you guys it,
0: got to see the behind-the-scenes. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to see... I mean, you've seen papers being thrown off my desk. I mean, I've I haven't got been that frustrated in no. It it was a long time.
2: It was hard to see and and to watch, to watch the truth and justice army really step up, and encourage you and inspire us, and really help shake things loose. I mean this this case was at a standstill, around Christmas. I mean, complete standstill. We told the same story every week, and you know, week in and week out, it was the same exact thing. And then finally, you know, that fire caught. And people started digging, and it was the old Truth and Justice Army. It was awesome. It was amazing.
0: amazing. To give you an idea of where we were at with things, uh, Mike coined the phrase during one of our early morning meetings when we were just really trying, like, literally, what was it, like on Thursday morning? Yeah. We had no idea what that week's episode was going to be about on Thursday. Yeah, under the gun a little bit. Nothing was shaking, and and, uh, Mike coined the phrase, we got to get out of this fucking gas station. And it kind of became our anthem there for a couple of weeks. It's just like nothing shaking loose, and it, you know, it's it's kind of funny looking back on it now. But the time that was genuine. Like, we got to get out of here. We got to we've got to find something outside of this gas station to to break this case open. And and uh, I think we finally did, and that was thanks to all of you.
2: And coming from me, being my first full season as part of the Truth and Justice Army and being on the show, I mean, it was it was humbling and it was very inspiring to watch. And, and thank you guys. Thank all of you listeners. For the work you guys put in,
1: yeah, thanks, guys. It's really appreciated personally, I'm kind of a shy guy, especially on the microphone. I've been doing this for years, and I'm still really uncomfortable with it and i i I think a lot of you are aware of that, and I appreciate everything. Pamela says, "What is your next case, and have you heard anything from oxygen? Laugh out loud. I just wanted to beat the others that asked the question one hundred times a week <laughs> well it's I've already kind of answered. Uh, I have heard from Oxygen. I think I have a
0: pretty good idea of when the show is going to air. As I said, I'm not allowed to tell you when, but, uh, it, it's coming up as far as the next season's case, not ready to share that with you yet. All I can tell you, and I've mentioned this on the fan page and I mentioned it on this episode a little bit ago, it's going to be a different one and we are going to need to do some serious investigative work. I'll tell you this right now. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent certain if the case we're looking at next, if the person is actually innocent or guilty. And there's a reason for that, and we'll get into all that when we come back and begin with season eight, episode one, which is gonna be in what four weeks? Four weeks. Four weeks, because uh, as I mentioned, we're gonna we're gonna play three um, segments of interviews from Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin for three weeks while we prepare for the season. And one last time, make sure you turn in this Sunday as the case against Jesse Eldridge gets completely unravelled. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. A big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreoncom truthandjustice. Ready to make a podcast? We have, you uh, can see in our wide angle here, we have a our backup mixer because our real mixer fried the other day and made us panic. This is the one that usually lives on my desk. And, uh, did you turn off whatever's in the garage that needs to be turned off? No, I did not. Stand by one. I'll be right back. Bam. You're welcome, Mike. Thanks, bud. <laughs>